Hello, I'm Regina Botras and this is Backstage, where we talk with the who's who on stage, in dance, comedy and performing arts, speaking with the leading theatre makers of our times and how they came to the stage and what drives them and inspires them. Madame Butterfly is opening at the Sydney Opera House in the Joan Sutherland Theatre. It's an Opera Australia production and I am talking with Michael Honeyman who has played the role previously for Handa Opera. He's a multi-award winning opera singer gaining a reputation as a specialist in the dramatic baritone roles of Verdi and Puccini which is this production. Uh, one of Puccini's. Uh, for Opera Australia, Michael's leading roles include the title role of King Roger in Sydney and Melbourne, for which he received the Green Room Award for Male Lead in an Opera and a nomination for a Helpman Award for Best Male Performer in an Opera. Other roles include Simon Bocanegra, as well as performing in Louisa Miller, Carmen, Falstaff, Il Travador, and so, so many productions, and excuse my pronunciations there. Uh, so many productions, I can't mention them all, but this production, Madame Butterfly, is directed by the renowned choreographer Graham Murphy and features a backdrop of many LED screens, making the production, what I've seen online, look just absolutely stunning. It's sung in Italian with English subtitles. Please welcome Michael Honeyman. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. So when did you first know you were a singer? I always sang during primary school and high school in choirs and in uh, musicals and all those sorts of things. Uh, but I always wanted to be a composer when I was young. I didn't want to sing or perform. Uh when I actually got to university, I realised, no, that wasn't for me at all. Right. <laughs> I enjoyed I, what, what all my friends were doing, which was singing and dancing and languages, sounded a lot more uh, thrilling. Ah, I see. So did you, did you study languages as well as singing and dancing? They were all part of a opera performer's uh, training. Ah. Uh, opera performance training will involve languages, acting, uh, uh, stage combat, dance right. uh, as well as obviously the opera history and traditions as well as the actual singing itself yeah because i always wonder like do you get someone especially in that is italian that helps with that sort of understanding of the language but as part of training i didn't realize that part of training but we also have a, a full-time coach uh, at opera australia called nicole dorigo who, who helps us make our italian sound uh, authentic because uh, we're not always singing in, in modern Italian either. So uh, uh, it's, you know, quite often poetic or it might be two or three hundred years old. So it might be the equivalent of Shakespeare is to us. So oh um, you do need external help. Oh, gee. Okay. So that's sort of like, yeah, it changes. Obviously, language changes. So why opera, though? Like, you know, go back. When was that sort of, you know, voice strong enough to carry opera? Uh, look, my my voice always had the kind of size and beauty that uh, people recommended classical music to me. Okay. I was a jack of all trades in, in as a youngster. I was always picking up flute and studying that for a couple of years and then a viola and percussion. And I was always never sticking <laughs> with anything uh, until I got to singing. And then I was right. like, ah, oh, that's it. That's the okay. thing. That's the okay. thing. And the more I progressed, the more people said, oh, you need to keep following that that's uh, just it's definitely a marketable proposition in opera right but why not 
I don't know, pop or rock or something else. You know, I think that's what distinguishes opera from other forms of singing is, you know, is, is the fact that we express the emotions and uh, our feelings and um, through the beauty of the sound. You know, music theatre is very involved in the text uh, and in the acting side of things. And we, we still do act and we still do use the text, but we're also adding the extra layer where it's always about the sound and carrying that sound over an orchestra and how that interacts with its with each other. And that's something I think is quite unique to opera itself. Okay. So does that mean that you as a baritone are carrying a, a, a different kind of emotional something quality to it? Uh, yes. I mean, casting in opera does tend to be more voice quality oriented rather than, say, physical characteristics like in, in acting. Okay. Um, so, yes, I, I tend to play... Uh, either dramatic baritone roles where there's lots of angst and lots of emotions uh, or noble characters who are quite tortured. And as I'm getting older and my voice is progressing, I might start moving into villains and and people who are a little (laughs) bit more evil, which is a delicious thing to look forward to. (laughs) Absolutely. Do you have a favourite role you can't wait to play, hope to play? Uh, Scarpia in Tosca, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Because he's not just a baddie, he's a baddie who unapologetically goes for what he asks, what he wants, what he desires. Mm. There's no self-justification. There's no excuses. There is, I want this. I'm going to get it. Right. Yeah. 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 How, and, and so much of the time we, well, there's so many reasons that we don't go for what we want all the time. And sometimes they are, you know, moralistic reasons or. And sometimes even when we do, we still have to lie to ourselves and justify to ourselves why we do it. Mm. Uh, whereas Scarpia, no. No, no. <laughs> so let's talk about this role uh, in Madama Butterfly. Who who are you playing? What's your role? I'm playing Sharpless. Now he is a, a diplomat, the, the consul to Nagasaki. He's also a friend and confidant to... Uh, Lieutenant Pinkerton, the young lover, who, Mm. of course, uh, falls in love with Madama Butterfly. Uh, But he's also, Sharpness is also the observer and the kind of human window through which the crew brings the audience into the story and observes Mm. Madame Butterfly's eventual emotional demise. Okay. So in a way, you're like the chorus for the audience to know what's going on? Yeah, the the chorus and the soul, you know, the, the observer. Uh, who okay. who connects the audience to the the, the emotional life of, of butterfly? Yeah. Okay. Oh, I also get to say, I told you so at the end. <laughs> I love it. I told you so. <laughs> Can you talk? Uh, you know, anyone doesn't know the the kind of general story of Madama Butterfly. Oh. Um, so it was set in uh, Nagasaki uh, in early colonial Japan history. Uh, the custom at the time was for young sailors to hire a geisha uh, for their posting uh, to live with them as man and wife for a couple of years mm. while their posting lasted and then leave again. In this story, Madam Butterfly is quite a naive person, extraordinarily beautiful and loving, uh, and believes that this is a real marriage when Pinkerton is really just there for the short term. Mm. Uh, Butterfly, still after Pinkerton leaves for three years, lives in the expectation that Pinkerton will return and resume their life together. And that's the crux of the tragedy. Mm. Sharpless is the one who is uh, the one who has to tell 
Madam Butterfly. Uh, look, Pinkerton's on his way back, uh, and it's not what you expect. Right. It's funny, when I was looking up, I, I was sort of doing a bit of research, and when you type into Google, like, is Madam Butterfly, and then you see a whole list of options, <laughs> right? So, Because I was like, is it based on a play or a book? I couldn't remember. And I know it's based on a play, right? Right, yes. Yeah. Do you want to tell me about the base, and then I'll get to my the best of that sentence? <laughs> Ah, so it was based on David Belasco's one-act play, Madam Butterfly, in 1900. Uh, I'm not 100% sure, but Puccini would have been inspired by, you know, the World Exhibition around the turn of the century at that time too, which is why Madam Butterfly and Turin Dot are all based on these exotic locations, which he had never been to, had never been exposed to. So that's why I think there was this fascination with, you know, orientalism for him at the time Mm. there's a few cultural and historical inaccuracies but um uh yeah so it was based on the play by david Belasco, uh which was also uh based on a novel by pierre loti yeah so when i was typing this sentence it was like one of the first things that comes up is was madame butterfly or madame butterfly um problematic and then I started talking about, you know, because of the Orientalism, because there's a young girl at the at the centre of the story, a geisha, and that, um, yeah, cultural difference between the American and the uh, Japanese. But but also, you know, in reply to that, you ask, there is a woman, there is a strong woman at the centre of it, a very vocal, like, um, so someone was contradicting that. Can you talk a bit more about that world and her character? I think that's what we've really tried to do in this particular collection by seeing it in a future world uh, rather than in the past. Uh, we actually put a contrast by saying, well, it's not in a colonial time and this is the way it is different from colonial. Okay. But it also meant we were able to concentrate on the transcendental story of the love story, love's first rush, and then mm. Butterfly's strong decision-making and her process throughout the opera. So yes, it can be problematic if you uh, you know concentrate just on her being uh, a young girl who knows nothing and as a victim. Mm. But if you play her as a woman uh, who falls in love, has been duped, and then the choices that she makes afterwards and her mm. drama, that's a very different story. Yeah, yeah. I also read somewhere that you know Pacini is a bit of a butterfly himself. What does that mean? He was a Pinkerton. He was a bit of a womanizer. At the time this opera came out, he had actually uh, been publicly outed as having numerous affairs with Mm. women and his marriage was on the rocks. So uh, I don't know how this was working out his personal issues, but it was certainly (laughs) the framework that he wrote this opera in. Yeah, yeah. So when when you look at opera, uh, well, it's a it's a you know largely about the music largely about the voice in the space that it's in i can't imagine doing hand opera on on the water where how does the the space affect you as a singer in in that world because you can get lost right it can just disappear i will tell you i love doing hand opera on the harbor i've done four now uh but uh, as a soloist, what I found is that um, vocally it's not that challenging because you've got the microphone and you do oh. adapt to the microphones. Okay. But as a performer, that huge space and 3,000 people is very wide capacity, 3,000 people capacity, 
And I tend to find I use probably an extra 80 to 150% extra energy to fill up the space to, trans to you know, transmit my version of the story and my character to such a big wide space. So I find Handra Opera quite exhausting <laughs> in that yeah. sense. You do need more energy. You do need more energy for the elements, you know, battling the wind and the rain and everything else. The sounds mm. of cockatoos or possums fighting in the fig trees, <laughs> you know, everything goes on. Um, so in that space, it's, it's not so much the voice uh, that is exhausting, but it's definitely the space itself. Mm. I can imagine and, and not quite, you know, set in where they're setting more like the opera I mean like more like Sydney regardless you transport it anyway can you tell me like talk to me about the screens because they just look fantastic and what a what a magical world adding this level of LED screens how many are there and where is it taking us the LED screens um have a massive potential uh, in in the, to to add something new to the operas uh, we've had some directors use them uh, cinematically. We've had uh, Aida and uh, Whiteley use them in different, very different ways. Uh, Graham Murphy being uh, you know, a, a choreographer and dancer is taking the very traditional theatrical storytelling use of the screens. So they add not so much a cinematic effect as uh, emotional um, highlights or sometimes he's got some visual leitmotifs that um, kind of remind you of some sort of elements of the story he's trying to tell. So they may not be literal, uh, but he's also used uh, a theatrical version where I, whereas rather than having a servant come on stage, he's used a little robot on a screen. Oh. So he's used them to tell stories in very different ways in different moments. One of the things that we did in this production was turn the screens off when we get to the crux of Butterfly's emotional collapse. Uh, as well. So it, it's quite theatrical in, in this context. Uh, in other operas like Whiteley, I mean, they were used to remind us of Whiteley's artwork, for example. So they were used in a totally different way. So there's still a lot more capacity. And I think as directors get to use them more, they'll find more ways to bring um, uh, the storytelling to life. Yeah. How is it working with Graham Murphy? Because as you say, and as we know, he's a choreographer. So is it very choreographic in direction, like a spatial, you know, is what's different? Graham Murphy uh, is a great storyteller. So he's always about telling the story. And as a dancer, he's intensely musical. So he mm. may not read the text as closely as some other acting based or theatre oh, yeah, directors, yeah, yeah. but he listens to the music and everything about the story that he tells comes from the music. And so what we're doing acting wise always matches what's happening in the orchestra, which is brilliant. Uh, so it's quite instinctive to me, but also he also tells uh, the story visually with our movement. Uh, so sometimes we're very specific about hand actions or placement of a chorus on stage because the visual picture is part of you know his his aesthetic uh, mm. very strongly, even more so in I did his Aida about ten years ago, uh, and that was very important that we had our arms moving a certain direction and a beautiful shape because it's grand opera and it's not quite as realistic as Butterfly. Yeah. Um, so those shapes were also subconsciously telling stories to the audience as well. Okay, so this is a more realistic kind of opera, meaning it's. Not pedestrian, but like not pedestrian, but there's 
there's uh, Puccini is a style of opera related to Verismo. So there's a lot less set pieces. This is like arias followed by duet, followed by a recitative, which is just a little bit talking. It's very much a one long kind of musical dialogue, which then inspired, you know, music theater and things like that later on. So there's only one famous aria in the opera, one very famous aria in the opera. And it's, uh, the rest is just, the story just evolves naturally. And this conductor has really brought that forward by a, a very propelling version of the music. Um, that concentrates on the conversational style of um, of opera rather than singing big songs. Okay. So can you do much with the music then? You can obviously change. Uh, uh, yeah, of course you can do a lot with the music in terms of everyone's got a very innate sense of what the tempo should be and how the music moves. Uh, you know, the, the composer's written some very specific things, but everything's open to interpretation. Okay. And unless we bring our personal stamp to each reading, then there's no point doing the operas over and over again. Yeah. Okay. So how do you prepare yourself physically and your voice and like what is that energetically? Because you said, you know, in the hand or opera, when you're out in the air, you've got all this extra energy, but I imagine it's just very quite athletic anyway. Yeah, it's it's not just a physical energy; it's a, a nervous energy as well. But uh, but for Handa and the Opera, I certainly try and stay quite fit. <laughs> I'm very jealous of my uh, time on performance days. I'm very jealous to keep to myself. I have an afternoon nap. Uh, I then pump myself full of caffeine, but that's me personally. <laughs> uh, and. Um, yeah, and then, you know, take my downtime in between shows as well. Um, mm. as, a, as a soloist doing a leading role, we generally only do every second night rather than every night. But, uh, yeah, and that's because it is a very high-energetic show. Mm. Well, I am absolutely looking forward to it. Michael Honeyman, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Well, as I said, that's Michael Honeyman there from... Madama Butterfly playing at the Sydney Opera House until the 30th of July. 